What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, January 25th. I'm Terry Aranga, and my guest today is Neil Z. Miller. Neil Miller is a medical research journalist and natural health advocate. He is the author of numerous articles and books on vaccines, including Vaccines, Are They Really Safe and Effective?, and Vaccines, Autism, and Childhood Disorders. Neil, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Terry. I'm happy to uh, to share whatever information uh, we can discuss today. Well, thank you. And I guess um, a question that we'd better start with is uh, to talk about germs. Does, does everybody who is exposed to a germ get sick? Well, well of course not. Uh, in fact, that's an interesting idea, that uh, interesting concept. You know, the, the thing is, is, for example, let's take a look at polio. A lot of people uh, back in the 1930s and 1940s were, were frightened of, of polio. But if we look at polio, 99% of the people that were exposed to the polio germ would not contract polio. And we can go through almost any disease, and we can see similar statistics. What that means is if you've got 100 people in a room and you expose all of them, to the polio germ, for example, and only one of them contracts the disease, and 99 of, uh, 90, the, 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 the remaining 99 uh, people in the room uh, continue to, to go through life perfectly healthy, that tells us that the germ itself is not the significant factor determining whether somebody gets sick or not. A lot of people would wonder, well, what, what is the de- determining factor? And, of course, I think then we have to look at things like nutrition and things like uh, the uh, well, the nutritional status of the uh, of the human body, the environment, the internal environment. So you would argue that something like vitamin C, for example, is uh, immunizing yourself naturally. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring up vitamin C. Back in the 1970s, Dr. Archie Calacarinos uh, was very concerned about a uh, a vaccination campaign that was taking place with Aborigine babies. Uh, out in the Australian outback. Uh, a lot of missionaries came in and they thought that these babies that were doing perfectly fine uh, needed to be vaccinated with DPT for diphtheria, diphtheria tetanus, and pertussis, or for whooping cough. And he wrote a book about this and he called it Every Second Child. And what happened was every other baby that was vaccinated was actually dying. 
uh, and they were being overwhelmed. Archie Calatrinos found out that they were being overwhelmed by the disease germs in the vaccine itself. And he was not able to convince the authorities to stop the vaccination program, but he, but they did allow him to supply these mal, malnourished uh, Aborigine babies with uh, vitamin C before they were vaccinated. And simply by providing these babies with uh, vitamin C before they were vaccinated, these babies did not die when they were when they were vaccinated. And and I can go through many many other cases. Uh, of other diseases, that uh, it's clear that th- that that when you contract these diseases, they're depleting your nutritional uh, storage. Uh, for example, measles is another good example. If we go over to Africa, where measles can be uh, can be a problem uh, with babies, these babies are malnourished. If you go over and vac and and measles depletes vitamin A store- stores. So if you go back, go over to, to Africa and you give these babies vitamin A, you will protect them naturally from the damaging effects of, of uh, measles. Wow. So I guess for you know anyone who's heard about uh, a friend who uh, got their child that vaccine, they could recommend certain nutritional measures to try to help do some damage control. One of, one of the things that I absolutely one of the things that I've I've um, uncovered in my research um, is that if you go overseas to third world nations uh, where uh, fatality rates are, are much higher, infant mortality rates, for example, are much higher than you have in Western countries like uh, European countries or the United States or Canada or Australia. Um, but you know what happens? They, they cannot lower the infant mortality rate in these foreign nations in these third world nations simply by vaccinating these babies. The only thing that really brings down the infant mortality rates are when they go into these third world nations and provide proper sanitation, proper, uh, uh, you know, increased nutrition, uh, easy access to health care. Uh, these, these cleaning up all the under, uh, you know, the, the, all the unclean aspects of, of these third world nations. Every time they go into, into these third world nations and can provide these services, infant mortality rates drop drastically. Vaccinations by themselves do not do the trick. Right, that's been a question of advocates for a long time now. Why don't you just go in and clean up the water and clean up the uh, area and uh, provide some good nutrition. And in fact, um, you've talked in your books about how uh, disease rates were uh, falling even before uh, before the mass vaccination program. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is common knowledge. My books have several graphs in them that show very clearly, uh, you know, a picture tells a thousand words, and you can look at these graphs and you see very clearly that uh, many of these diseases for which we have vaccines today were dropping in uh, the case numbers and the, and the virility as well, so that the virulence, so that these diseases weren't as dangerous either by the time these vaccines came along. There's another interesting thing about that. You can go back and you can look at things like scarlet fever, and you can put, you can put a, a graph of, of scarlet fever cases and deaths right next to a graph of whooping cough, you know, for pertussis. And 
The interesting thing is, is that they look identical. You, you have back in the 1800s, you have very high numbers of cases. Uh, the, the, even the, 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 the fatality numbers were, were much higher. And then as you move into the late 1800s and the early 1900s, these, uh, the case numbers and the death rates drastically dropped way before vaccines were introduced. But the interesting thing is, is that they never came up with a vaccine for scarlet fever. Okay. Wow. Yeah, there was no, no vaccine for scarlet fever, and yet the graph, side-by-side side with graphs for things like polio, pertussis, measles, show, is, is almost identical, okay? So, you know, again, this is an indication, this is evidence that, that, uh, that uh, when we went in and we started to clean up, you know, started pr- putting in proper sanitation and sewage systems, and we started learning that, you know, you have to freeze your, your food and, and uh, you know, and proper nutrition and all of this, those were the main factors that contributed to the decline of disease. So cool, cool, cool. I'm excited about this information. So nutrition and hygiene and the terrain of the person are key. So, Neil, why do you think that industry emphasizes vaccines versus resistance and why do you think there's something out there like codex that tries to resist our excuse me restrict our access to nutritional supplementation like the vitamin c or the vitamin a well you know a lot of people ask me this question and a lot of people think that it's you know there's deeply nefarious purpose you know population control and things of that nature um my research really comes down to something quite simple and and we know it is greed and I, I really think that uh, a major portion of the reason that um, that uh, the proper uh, methods aren't being used, uh, you know, Bill Gates is, is spending lots of money, uh, you know, millions if not billions of dollars to to, to vaccinate all, you know children in these third world nations, and he really needs to be going over there and using this money to feed these kids. These kids, these children need to be fed, and this is what we need to be focusing our energy on. We need to be figuring out better ways to distribute food around the world and better ways to clean up, uh, clean up the, uh, the unsanitary health conditions that these children are raised in and providing clean, uh, clean water. But, uh, but right now where things stand are, are that the pharmaceutical companies uh, are in control. The pharmaceutical companies um, have the uh, the legislators in their in their pockets. Uh, the, the system that we have today is corrupt, and uh, I know many legislators that have tried to make changes to the system, and it's just uh, too entrenched. And <clears throat> so, I, I really think that what's going on is it's not really about protecting our health; it's about protecting the uh, the pharmaceutical interests and protecting the monetary interests of the people that are producing these vaccines. And it even sounds like a vicious cycle because if you go in and you vaccinate um, these populations where there are deficits in hygiene and nutrition, um, they all the more cannot resist the contaminants and um, toxins in these vaccines, I would imagine. Let's talk about the United States and um, we hear things in the news, but are there disease outbreaks even within highly vaccinated populations? I mean, those in the very people who have been vaccinated. Absolutely. But you know what? You, let me just address what you just brought up first. And that, that is a very important point that you just brought up. And that is that the children that are most susceptible to disease because of malnourishment and because of uh, 
you know, their nutritional status and the, being raised in, in unhealthy, unsanitary conditions are also the children that are most susceptible to the damaging effects of the vaccines. And that, that's a very important point because they're taking, for example, premature babies here in the United States, and we've got a baby that's born a month, two months, three months early, and it comes out. Uh, it's born, and it's got, obviously, this baby is more vulnerable to, to any, uh, any health uh, problems that, that might be circulating, any diseases that are circulating and things of like that. But this baby is also much more susceptible to the damaging effects of a vaccine, and yet they continue to vaccinate that baby, for example, at birth for hepatitis B, where they recommend the RSV, uh, respiral syncytial uh, virus uh, shot, to these babies as well. Um, that's a very significant problem that, that we have. Uh, but now to answer your second question, yes, uh, the vaccines are not as effective um, as the authorities would like us to believe. And they try to get us to, to vaccinate not just for our own children, but they're, they're placing guilt trips on families right now. And I get many calls and many emails right now from families from, from parents. They're very distraught that, for example, they can't see their grandkids because the, 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 brother, the, the son-in-law or the, or the daughter-in-law says that unless, unless the relatives get vaccines, they're not allowed to touch the babies because the authorities are telling us that we have to now vaccinate ourselves, not just to protect ourselves, but to protect other, other children. Uh, but this is, a, this is a false premise. These vaccines are ineffective and uh, many times when, uh, for example, measles, when there's measles outbreaks and authorities come out and they say everybody has to get vaccinated because there's, a, there's an outbreak of measles, uh, what they're failing to tell you is that when you go and look at the actual statistics, in up to 95, even, even in some cases, 99% of the cases uh, of the people that, that have the measles were people that were fully vaccinated against the disease. What does that say? That says that these vaccines are ineffective. So I don't understand the rationale for vaccinating, uh, continuing to vaccinate everybody else. Uh, this just doesn't make sense. This idea that this, this concept of herd immunity, that we've all got to be vaccinated to provide herd immunity to protect everybody, but yet when, when people are vaccinated, the... Uh, the, they're afraid of the unvaccinated children as though somehow uh, that's going to, uh, you know. I mean, if, if you're afraid, if, if a vaccinated child is afraid of somebody that is unvaccinated, that is an acknowledgement, that is an admission that the vaccine is ineffective, and that's exactly the truth. That makes sense. And with that, we'll go to break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, makers of fine digestive enzymes that complement your special diet. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. 
The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Neil Miller, medical research journalist and author of numerous articles and books on vaccines, including Vaccines, Are They Really Safe and Effective?, and Vaccines, Autism, and Childhood Disorders. And Neil, before the break, you were making some good points, and it made me think of the fact that, um, you know, there are studies showing that, for example, flu vaccines are not efficacious in seniors and infants, and um, these are populations most vulnerable to injury, Um, So between being vulnerable and the vaccines being ineffective, as shown in studies, yet these are the very populations who the authorities um, try to tell us to most vaccinate. So that doesn't make sense. And then there are pediatricians throwing kids out of their practices, but, you know, because they might infect somebody else in the waiting room, but you have to think we're all the adults and uh, support staff, the bookkeeper, were they all vaccinated? So that doesn't make sense either. There's, There's nothing here that makes sense. Um, you, okay, so there's a couple of uh, questions in here. First of all, let's address the inefficacy of the flu vaccine, okay? And in my books, and my latest book, by the way, is Vaccine Safety Manual, and that's the most thorough. Uh, that's 400 pages of, of study after study summarized. And, and in, those, uh, in the flu chapter, what we found was that they did a master study. They did several master studies. And a master study is when they do a study of all the previous studies ever conducted. And they did a master study of all flu vaccine studies previously done during the uh, the previous 50 years. And they found that the flu vaccine is not able to show that it is is efficacious. It does not protect children. It does not protect adults. And it's not not necessary for the... uh, for the uh, the adult uh, for seniors, it 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 doesn't work for 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 babies. It does for children. Doesn't work for for seniors, and it's unnecessary for for the uh, popul the uh, the adult population, the healthy uh, healthy adult population as well. Um, and I summarize these studies. It, it's uh, and yet they continue to push the, the the flu vaccine. Now, if you go over to other nations, 
um, we're the only only nation that really pushes this um, in in such an extreme fashion. For example, in uh, in nations like Japan, they don't treat the they don't treat the flu disease like it can be dealt with through herd immunity. See, here we treat it like it can be dealt with through herd immunity. Like if you vaccinate everybody, we're going to get rid of it or something like that. Um, and herd immunity, this this whole concept, you have to reach. They, they, the studies show that you have to reach anywhere from 80 to 90% of the population to, to try to reduce a disease. And by the way, herd immunity doesn't work with, with vaccines. It only works with, with natural disease, uh, the wild disease. Um, but but here in the United States, we've got roughly 40% vaccination rates with, with flu. So there's no good rationale for people to get vaccinated to protect people around them. See, if, 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 if they're making hospital employees get the flu vaccine, supposedly to protect the, uh, the patients that come into the office. However, the patients are being exposed to other people that are in that hospital. They're being exposed to people out in the parking lot. They're being exposed to people at the, at the local community store, uh, in the, you know, at the school system, everywhere in society. And so that just doesn't work. That just doesn't fly. The other thing I want to mention is, is that you're absolutely right that the children and the seniors are the most vulnerable, and they're going to be the most vulnerable to the, to the effects, the damaging effects of the flu vaccine. And by the way, the flu vaccine still contains high concentrations of mercury. Um, and that, that's something we need to talk about. Um, but what the studies have come out to show, nutrition-wise, is that probably one of the best things that anybody can do to protect themselves from influenza is to take vitamin D on a regular basis. And, uh, that's D3. D, vitamin D3. Um, and uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Cannell is a world, uh, is, uh, a world authority on vitamin D, and he's got an excellent uh, website, and uh, and his he's he documents all of the studies that are coming out now, showing that vitamin D is protective against things not just about to protect the immune system against things like influenza and even swine flu, um, but but against things like cancer and other diseases. Um, and so I would recommend that everybody listening today, if they're worried about the flu, that they uh, that their their first line of defense is to supplement themselves with vitamin D3. Yeah, and again, it is the D3, and it's the uh, kind of natural supplement you get as opposed to the uh, D2 that the the doctor might prescribe in a pharmacy of the pharmaceutical kind from the pharmacy. That's yeah. not the right kind. Let me mention have... something, too, about this, because a lot of people don't understand the connection. If, you know, the connection is with the sun. Usually, if you're exposed, you, you, you produce vitamin D from the sun. When you go out, and your, your skin is exposed. But in the winter, there's less sun. And you can also, and that's why the flu comes around in the winter, okay, because people's immune systems break down because they're low in vitamin D because they're not getting out into the sun. And that's why you want to supplement with vitamin D. Now, if you can get out in the sun every day and expose yourself to, to the sun during the, the peak hours between, like, let's say, 11 and and one or eleven and two two o'clock in the afternoon, and you've got forty percent of your body exposed to the sun in the winter. Um, then maybe you're fine. But most of us can't do that, so you need that supplementation. Yeah, yeah. Unless we're the, the people who go out swimming in the uh, in the frigid water uh, in the winter. But other than that, a good nutritional supplement of D three uh, would be called for. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about a, 
a couple of things. We talked about how disease outbreaks outbreaks have occurred in highly vaccinated populations. Um, we talked about how, in reality, disease rates uh, were declining before mass vaccination programs. And let's, let's talk about something political now. Um, were there ways that the powers that be uh, jury-rigged the figures to make it look as if disease rates were declining because of vaccines? Um, they have done that, and that's very interesting. Back in the 1950s, for example, um, when they came out with the polio vaccine, they simultaneously changed the legal definition of polio. Um, very interesting, because you can, you can manipulate disease statistics simply by changing the definition of a disease. Um, back in the 1950s, there, there, were, there was something called a septic meningitis that was virtually indistinguishable from, uh, from polio. And before the polio vaccine was introduced, in the 1950s, everything that looked like polio was diagnosed as polio. Um, but after the polio vaccine came out, they split that up into two, two separate diseases. So now everything that was listed as polio was now being listed as either polio or septic meningitis. Uh. It, yeah. What this does is this artificially um, inflates the efficacy of the, of the uh, polio vaccine. It makes the polio vaccine look more effective than it really is because cases that would have, uh, after the polio vaccine is introduced, and when somebody gets polio, it's not being listed as polio anymore. Now it's being listed as a septic meningitis. And so that artificially uh, forces the, the, uh, the cases of, that, of the polio disease to decline. Okay, and, and just for those of you listeners out there who may be playing devil's advocate at this point and saying, well, hey, some people say that happened with autism, the UC Davis Mind Institute ruled out diagnostic substitution in the case of autism. There has been a real and true increase in full syndrome autism and um, demographic shift, diagnostic substitution have been ruled out. It's a true epidemic, and you cannot have a genetic epidemic. So, Neil, let's go back to some um, rather elementary uh, information here right before we need to go to break. And here's the element, the fundamental question. Is it biologically plausible that a vaccine could cause injury? Yeah, it's not only biologically plausible, but there's, there's probably thousands. And I'm not exaggerating because I document, I document probably seven, 800. Well, I, I, well I've got, my book itself has, has 60, 65 or 70 pages that are in very small print that are just the studies that I've taken my material from. So what I'm saying is this. It's not only biologically plausible that a vaccine can, can hurt or kill a child, but this, there's probably thousands of studies that actually document this, okay? And I've got at least seven, 800, 900 of those studies documented in my book. Not only is it biologically plausible, but, but you also have to, to, to realize that the, 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 the federal government uh, has set up a compensation system to, to compensate parents when their children are damaged or killed from vaccines. So even the federal government has acknowledged that vaccine, that there's a bi biological plausibility uh, to this, that, that some children will be sacrificed uh, to the vaccine gods, okay? Um, and, and people don't know that when you go into the doctor's office, when you take your baby to the pediatrician and then the pediatrician bills you for the vaccines that your children receive at that well baby checkup, some of the money that you're being billed is there's a tax built into every one of those vaccines. So if you pay 50 bucks for that vaccine, 
five bucks of that might go into uh, the compensation fund so that um, so that when children are damaged or killed from these vaccines, that there's money to pay those parents for that damaged child. Now, here's the really sick thing I've heard. They've used that very tax to litigate against the vaccine-injured children. And, Neil, are there problems with the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System whereby the public is misled about vaccine safety and statistics? How many vaccine reactions are reported by doctors or even believed in by doctors in the first place? Okay, so let's just set aside, for example, how many doctors are actually reporting, and let's just look at the actual reports on an annual basis. Every year, more than 25,000 reports are filed with the federal government. This means that every year, more than 25,000 families took their healthy children into the, the doctor to get a shot, and after that child got that shot, or that, or that person, sometimes in some cases it's adults that got the shots, they had a serious reaction or died, and they file a report. So every year, for, so for the past three years, there's, there's more than 80,000 reports. Now, <clears throat> Dr. David Kessler used to be the head of the FDA uh, under the Clinton administration. He acknowledged, he came out and said, that this is a passive reporting system. Under passive reporting systems, uh, which, the VAERS, which the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System is, it's, it's a, there's a difference between a passive and an aggressive system. This is a passive system. Under a passive uh, adverse event reporting system, let, uh, approximately 1% of the true rates are being um, captured. So what that means is that you have to multiply these 25,000 reports annually by 100 to get a true figure of the number of people that are being hurt by vaccines every year. Another way to look at this is that for every report in the vaccine adverse event reporting system, that report or that individual that's represented by that report is actually representing 100 people. Okay, For every report, they're actually representing 99 other people as well. Um, that were likely to have been hurt by that vaccine, but that never knew about the the reporting system or never knew that they um, understood the connection between the vaccine and the uh, adverse reaction that they had. So this is a huge, serious problem because we are damaging our society today. Kids today are sicker than they've ever been. If you talk to medical doctors, and I have, for example, I'm friends with Dr. Harold Buttram. He's an elderly man in his 80s, uh, doctor and uh, family practice, and he's been doing it for 40 years, 50 years. He's been a medical doctor, and he, he will, will vouch for the fact that kids today are sicker, not better, but sicker than they've ever been before. And that's the question. Why are so many kids sick? And with that, we'll go to break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. 
More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health & Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Most chronic health problems are caused by the interaction between genetic susceptibility and environmental exposure. This was defined 10 years ago by the Centers for Disease Control. Join Dr. Robin Bernhoft for 21st Century Medicine. We will cover the whole spectrum of chronic illness and little-known medical treatments that are being used to make you healthier. 21st Century Medicine airs live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Neil Z. Miller, author of the Vaccine Safety Manual for Concerned Families and Health Practitioners. This is um, 352 pages and has a foreword by Russell Blaylock. Uh, it can be found at uh, Neil Miller's website, www.thinktwice.com, or you can find this at amazon.com, and I highly recommend this. Um, Neil, are there contaminants and ingredients in vaccines that actually increase susceptibility to that very disease or cause other distinct diseases? Yes. In fact, the uh, people would be very surprised uh, by what it actually goes into these vaccines. Okay, first of all, parents need to understand that vaccines are drugs. Okay, and I'm going to make a list right now. I'm going to, I'm just going to explain some of the, just the categories of drugs. I'm not going to list the drugs right now. I'm just going to list the categories of drugs that go into vaccines. They've got antigens, preservatives, adjuvants, stabilizers, antibiotics, buffers, diluents, emulsifiers, Inactivating chemicals. Okay, these are just these are just a small portion of the of the categories of of, of uh, different uh, things. There's growth mediums, for example, viruses. When you when you have a, vi- a viral vaccine like with chickenpox, that the varicella virus, 
or or with measles, which is you know the measles virus or mumps. Uh, when you make a viral vaccine, it has to be grown in either chick embryos or chick kidney cells. Uh, the polio vaccine was grown in monkey kidney uh, viro cells. Uh, some vaccines, like the chickenpox and the uh, rubella vaccine, are grown in human diploid cells. For people that don't know what a diploid cell is, that is a euphemism for um, an aborted human fetus. Um, so these are these are just some of the uh, aluminum you know aluminum salts are is are used to stimulate the uh, immunity. But that that of course aluminum injecting children and adults with aluminum is is uh, is very dangerous. Uh, preservatives, thimerosal or mercury, is still used in flu vaccines, uh, but that's just one preservative. They also use benzothonium chloride, two phenoxyethanol, uh, phenol. Uh, these are these are suspected blood, developmental, liver, kidney, neurological, reproductive, respiratory, skin, and sense organ toxins. Um, you know, and then again, again, there's three different types of antibiotics that can be found in in vaccines. Uh, these are all various. Chemical substances, uh, monosodium glutamate (MSG) is also found in vaccines. Somebody once asked me, "What the heck is Chinese food doing in vaccines?" Um, but you'll find MSG. You'll find porcine, or which is a uh, porcine is, is pig gelatin goes into vaccines. Now, I'm not just trying to scare people. I'm, I'm just making a list of, of the of the of the vac- of the you know if you, that hepatitis B vaccine, for example, that that. Uh, that babies get it at the first day of life, and then they get it again at two, four, and six months of life. That contains uh, formaldehyde uh, and aluminum. Uh, so, so to answer your question, yes, absolutely, there are many toxic substances in these vaccines. In fact, one of the main problems today, uh, you know, because I see the patterns of children being hurt over the years. I've been doing this for more than twenty years. It used to be sudden infant death syndrome in the 70s and 80s, but today it's autism and neurological and immunological disorders. But when do these occur? They often occur after these children get multiple vaccines simultaneously. Babies go to the, to the pediatrician's office at two months, and they get eight drugs. They get eight vaccines at two months of age. They get it at, at four months, they go back and they get eight more drugs. At, at six months of age, they go back, and this time they get nine drugs because they get the flu vaccine as well. So they're getting DPT, they're getting pneumococcal vaccine, haemophilus influenza type B, they're getting hepatitis B, they're getting the rotavirus vaccine. So they're, being, they're, 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 they're tiny little immunological and developing neurological systems are being inundated with all of these toxic substances. And that's when I get the calls. That's when I get the emails from these, these distraught parents. They just took their children in for these vaccines, and now the child is in the hospital fighting for life where the child passed away. Uh, a friend of mine wrote and said that a relative of hers uh, did not get the Hep B vaccine in the hospital, and that was the only baby in the ward who was not crying. So, uh, well, the doctors would simply say because the baby was the baby, the babies cry because they don't like the the the, the needle prick. They don't, you know, the, the the pain from the needle prick, which is total nonsense. Because you know, a lot of these babies, for example, with DPT, they come back and they get they get uh, what's called the creencephalique. Barbara Lowe Fisher was quite aware of this. Uh, she wrote about this in her book. In her book. Um, 
you know, the Cretencephal leak, this is, this is when a baby gets, for example, that pertussis vaccine and has uh, encephalitis of the brain. Okay, this is inflammation of the brain. This is a form of brain damage. These babies get these shots, they have brain damage, and they go into this high-pitched scream. Now, this scream is very unnatural. It's not like a, just a child crying because they, you know, they didn't like the pinprick. Um, uh, and, and regarding hepatitis B at the hospital, parents need to also understand that there's nothing you can do to protect your baby from that hepatitis B shot um, unless you, you absolutely 24 hours a day until you leave that hospital keep your eye on that baby or have that, that child in your possession because you can warn, you can, you can write something up or you can even warn in person the doctors and the nurses that you don't want to have that hepatitis B shot, but that will not protect that baby against getting that shot because the nurses at the hospitals continue to give these babies these shots against the, against the baby's will, against the parent's will. Uh, and so parents need to make sure that the father is there um, as an advocate for the family to be sure that that baby is not left from the mother's arms because those nurses will vaccinate those babies. Well, in, in my case, I think the biggest uh, uh, and, and least expensive ounce of prevention in our case would have been if I would have just taken an ice pick and punctured my tires before I went to the maternity ward. Mm. Uh, so yeah. well, I'm working with... Uh, in fact, I don't know if you, you know Suzanne Arms. Uh, she spent the night here uh, with, with me. She, she was visiting. Um, Suzanne Arms was uh, from the 1970s. She, she wrote Immaculate Deception. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was, uh, she's, a, she's a wonderful birth advocate. And, uh, you know, and she, she you know, really recommends people stay away from the hospital. For, for, you know, we were lucky. We had, we had our children. We, we were born at home. We, you know, my children were born at home. I was the one that caught my children when they entered the world. It was a lovely, beautiful experience, and uh, people always asked us, Aren't, weren't you afraid to have your children at home? And I would tell them, no, I was afraid to have my children at the hospital. Yeah. Do you know any perfectly healthy children who have not been vaccinated? My own children. My children were not vaccinated, and uh, my children are in their 20s now, and, and uh, they're, they're young adults. And, in fact, my children never visited a medical doctor uh, my wife and I did not believe in allopathic medicine, and uh, so we did not uh, deal with any of that. My children were, were absolutely healthy throughout their, throughout their lives, rarely got sick, rarely get sick at all, and when they do, they, they overcome it very quickly. Uh, and my wife and I, you know, we, we didn't really have to debate too much about this either. Um, we just knew intuitively that we weren't going to inject our children with, with uh, a lot of toxic substances. Interestingly, though, that was what got me started on, on speaking out about vaccines. Uh, my children were, were, were not hurt by vaccines because we didn't give them to them. But I did do the research before my children, before my children were born and after they were born uh, because I did need to, to have some evidence-based ba- uh, information for, for my decisions. And I was just flabbergasted by what I uncovered. And that's actually how my books got started was, was from my initial research for my own children and then people came to me and they wanted to know what I discovered and, and it snowballed into, into, into books and, and speaking out on this topic. Well, even though your unvaccinated children are perfectly healthy and bright, thanks for uh, staying at this and uh, protecting everybody else's kids. And again, that book is the Vaccine Safety Manual for Concerned Families and Health Practitioners with uh, over 1,000 studies 
um, mentioned in it, and you can find that at www.thinktwice.com or at amazon.com. We'll be right back from the break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Are you finding fitness a chore? Is health and nutrition too time-consuming for you? It doesn't have to be like that at all. Tune in to Fit Fan for Fun Lifestyle Fitness with your host, Shira Litwack. Every week, Shira and her guests will show you the fun side of fitness. We'll invite you to send topic suggestions and questions via email, as well as call into the program. You'll get sensible fitness and nutrition advice in a relaxed and fun program. You won't look at fitness as an enemy ever again. Fit Fan for Fun airs every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Neil Z. Miller, author of the Vaccine Safety Manual. Neil, let's pick, uh, you know, we know that there are ingredients in vaccines that can cause other distinct disease states and conditions. For example, simian virus 40, arthritis, diabetes, bowel disease. But right now, let's zero in on sudden infant death syndrome and then talk about shaken baby syndrome. Okay. I, um, I, re- I recently wrote a study, um, and in fact, it just got accepted by a, a journal, a peer-reviewed journal, and they're going to be publishing it. I can't do a lot of talking about it, but I can do a little bit of talking about it until, that, until it gets published. And uh, what this study did is we looked at, uh, we looked at uh, infant mortality rates around the world, and we compared them to international immunization schedules. And we, we looked to see if there was a correlation between the number of vaccines that a child gets in a particular nation and that nation's infant mortality rate. 
And lo and behold, there was a statistically significant correlation. The more vaccines that a baby gets, the more likely that the infant mortality rate is, is higher, not lower. Okay? Um, now, part of that study looked at um, sudden infant death syndrome. And there are several studies out there that have documented correlations between sudden infant death uh, syndrome and vaccines. Also, interesting, uh, something we talked about earlier about, uh, about uh, how they played around with uh, disease definitions. Um, I document in this study, in the discussion section, how they did the same thing with sudden infant death. Back in the 1990s, when they came out with that, uh, uh, there was a campaign where they came back uh, where they wanted all the babies to begin sleeping on their backs because they were, were claiming that that was the true cause of high rates of sudden infant death syndrome, that babies were sleeping on their bellies. Um, they were trying to basically to divert attention away from the fact that vaccines were recently introduced uh, in the 1960s, and that's when we, we had this great increase in sudden infant death syndrome. So there's a direct correlation there. We had very low cases of sudden infant death syndrome. The vaccines were introduced in 19... Uh, you know, the schedule, the, 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 the national immunization campaigns were, were introduced and pushed and made compulsory starting like in the 1960s. The sudden infant death syndrome started to skyrocket, and then by the 1980s and 1990s, they, they, by the 1990s, they started to, to, uh, to try to divert attention away from that with false reports of, of what, what was the true cause. But I, I blow that to smithereens because I, I, I did some research and see, show how they, they changed the, the, the definitions and things of that nature. But a recent study did just come out. In fact, it just came out last year. Um, and I just want to read a little bit from, from, this, um, from, from this study. And uh, this, was, uh, this was a study that was done. Uh, what they did is they took a three-month-old infant, died suddenly and unexpectedly shortly after being given six vaccines in a single shot. Now, I'm going to read this. Just, I'm just going to read three lines from it. It's a little bit technical, but you'll get the idea. Uh, and this is a direct quote from the study itself. This was in the conclu conclusions by the, by the study authors. Examination of the brain stem on serial sections revealed bilateral hypoplasia of the arcuate nucleus. The cardiac conduction system presented persistent fetal dispersion and resorptive degeneration. This case offers a unique insight into the possible role of hexavalent vaccine in triggering a lethal outcome in a vulnerable baby. And, and so what they're describing here is sudden infant death syndrome caused by multiple vaccines administered simultaneously, um, acknowledged right here in a peer-reviewed journal. Um, also, my phone doesn't ring off the hook, um, although listeners are perfectly well, uh, welcome to do that. Can you give us the main study author on that so people can Google it? Yeah, this was the the main uh, author was uh, Ota Viani, and it's it's actually a foreign it's actually a foreign journal, and they're going to be able to see this when when my paper comes out. Um, but this was uh, this was in Vierkow's archives, um, and uh, you know this uh, you know and the title was sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS shortly after hexavalent vaccination. Another pathology in suspected SIDS, um, but uh, but I but I also document other studies uh, in in the discussion section of my paper. But sudden infant death syndrome is definitely, uh, in my opinion, in my experience, um, linked to uh, 
to the vaccines. Uh, and uh, that's something, again, that uh, people need to realize. This. See, I'll tell you something. What happened was with, uh, when, when autism uh, started skyrocketing, it pushed sudden infant death syndrome sort of to the back burner. Um, but that's still a, still a serious problem going on today. Many of these babies are expiring from these vaccines, um, and they're being labeled as sudden infant death syndrome. Sudden infant death syndrome is not really a, a disease. It's just basically a catch-all phrase. It's just a catch-all term that, that uh, coroners use when babies die and they don't have another explanation. So they, they just listed a sudden infant death. Uh, yeah. And what about shaken baby syndrome? Now, shaken baby syndrome is another problem that, that we've got going on today. A lot of these babies are getting vaccinated, and they're having a form of brain damage where the, uh, the, they're having hematomas, and uh, this is bleeding in the brain. And uh, parents are being accused of sudden infant death syndrome, and many have even gone to jail. In fact, there are several parents today that are spending time behind bars because, because all they did was love their children and do what they were told, take them in to get them vaccinated, and those children had a brain injury from that vaccine, and the authorities accused them of shaking their babies and causing that, uh, that, that problem in the brain. Now, I'll tell you something. My book, Vaccine Safety Manual, is uh, you mentioned that it was the foreword was written by Dr. Russell Blaylock. Dr. Russell Blaylock is a brain surgeon. He's a world-renowned neurosurgeon, and he, 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 he goes inside people's brains. And in the foreword to this book, um, the Vaccine Safety Manual, he documents exactly what he sees taking place in children's brains after those children are vaccinated because he goes inside these brains and he sees the actual damage that these vaccines are doing, and he documents it um, very uh, clearly in the forward to that book. Well, Neil, as we close, are there any additional comments you'd like to make? What does the future hold? Well, the, um, the vaccine industry currently has about 200 vaccines in the pipeline that they're ready to bring out as soon as they get, get, get licensed, and, uh, you know, and probably many of them they are going to continue to try to mandate them. Uh, there's vaccines for everything you could possibly imagine and many for that you can't even imagine. Vaccines for, against addictions, okay? You don't want your children to be addicted to drugs when they get older. Well, you don't have to raise them well anymore. You don't have to think about raising them properly and teaching them all good morals and everything like that because they're going to have a vaccine. Give the child a vaccine, and hopefully they won't get, you know, if the vaccine works, they won't develop addictive behavior. Um, but, but, yeah, there's some crazy stuff going on, and all of us need to just wake up. I really encourage parents um, to continue to research this subject uh, I don't tell parents not to vaccinate. I don't recommend for or against the vaccines. I don't think the vaccines are safe. I don't think they're effective in many cases. However, that was a decision that my wife and I had to make personally. Um, but I do encourage parents to research this as much as possible. Read my books, read other books, go do research on the Internet, get the studies, and piece it together as best as you can, and then make informed decisions. I am opposed to mandatory vaccines. And I, this, this absolutely, because these vaccines are unsafe and ineffective in so many cases, it's just unconscionable 
that they could mandate these vaccines. We, we, we must not be made to play Russian roulette with our children. This has got to stop. Absolutely, and parents must have fully educated, informed consent uh, on behalf of their beloved children whom they protect. So thank you, Neil, for being with us and sharing this yeah. important information today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciated this opportunity to share this information. To our listeners, Kristen is back next week with her guest, dietitian Liz Lipsky. Please remember to check out the Autism One website at www.autismone.org. We have a huge surprise announcement coming up on January 31st about the Autism One Generation Rescue 2011 conference, and there will be even more pleasant features of this conference for you so that you can help your children. If you have any questions about this program, please email me at taranga at autismone.org. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, makers of fine digestive enzymes that complement your special diet. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.